Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? You're doing better than you know, I promise. That's the amazing thing. It's like if the answer is anything but good, there's an answer in him that changes that to good because he's promised that his goodness and his mercy would, would follow us all the days of our lives. You're not chasing after goodness and mercy. If you're a born-again believer following the Lord Jesus as your shepherd, goodness and mercy is actually chasing after you. It's following you. You don't have to be nervous when you hear something behind you at night. Just know that's his goodness and his mercy because he said it would follow me all the days of my life if, as long as he's my shepherd. That's it. That's the only qualification. If I'm following Jesus, the sheep doesn't worry about what's behind it as long as it's following the shepherd because it understands if I'm going where the shepherd's called me to, it's his responsibility to make sure that my rear is guarded. It's his responsibility to lead me into green pastures. It's his responsibility to lead me to still waters. All my responsibility is is what? Don't fear and follow him. That's the whole psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not fear. That's the only thing asked of us. The first line is every bit of our responsibility that we're following Him and that we don't fear. Once that's done, the rest is His responsibility. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me to green pastures. He restores my soul for His name's sake. For His name's sake, He restores my soul. His rod and His staff, they comfort me. Why? Because I know that He doesn't carry that thing to break my legs if I try to wander. He carries it to break the neck of anything that would try to harm one of his sheep. That's why they bring me comfort. His rod just pulls me back into the path if I should ever start to wander. If I should ever start to walk off in a way. I don't live my life terrified that I'm going to miss God and I'm going to walk in the wrong direction because he's promised that he would actually guide my steps. So I just follow him and trust that if I'm going where he's called me to go, if I start to wander a little bit, he's going to actually reach out with that little rod and just pull me in. Why? Because he's way more committed to me becoming and going where he wants me to go and become who he wants me to become than I am. How prideful for me to think that it all relies on me as long as I'm just following him. I can trust him. He's trustworthy. He really is. And think about, like, Sometimes I, 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 we sing those songs and I'm like, what are we singing right now? Like, what are we declaring? And I was thinking like, God, what if we really believed? Like every morning when we wake up, God, wake up. I feel it in my bones. You're about to move. Like, not praying that one day he would move, but actually convinced that he's about to move. Because think about it, every single day you confront the kingdom of darkness in this world. And Jesus said, as the Father sends me into the world, so I also send you. And he said, the Son of God was made manifest for this, to destroy the works of the enemy. It's all in our Bibles. And so that means if we're going to go out and encounter the kingdom of darkness, if you've watched the news and you go, whoa, there's stuff going on out there, then believe there's something that's supposed to be going on in here that's supposed to bring the kingdom of light to bear on the kingdom of darkness. Not huddle in a room and pray in terror. We huddle in a room and pray only so that we can actually make intercession for people, make our requests known by him, to Him, but then we actually let that move us to a place of going and doing, becoming, seeing, believing, pre- praying, having hope and, and faith and all those things like bursting inside of us is the fruit of the Spirit. It's something we have to work up inside of ourselves. We just have to follow Him. It's fruit. An apple tree doesn't sit there and strain and go... Aah! 
And it doesn't. It just actually sits there resting with its roots down deep, absorbing everything that it needs. That's why we're compared so many times to trees. Because a tree just trusts that if it's where it's supposed to be, its roots will go down deep and they will be like a tree planted by the streams of water that extends its roots down by the stream. And in a season of drought, it will not faint, nor will it cease to bear fruit. It will be green. We believe that. We have to. Listen, if none of that stuff's true, if, if what I'm saying right now isn't true, then none of the Bible's true because it all comes from the same place and we can't pick and choose. If you're going to believe the Bible says in the end of times that days will grow darker, then you also have to believe that you're the light of the world. Amen. You can't settle for one at the expense of the other. You can't throw your hands in the air and say, well, you know, the Bible says it's going to get darker. Yeah, but it also said that you're the light of the world. Amen. You ever see what happens in a room when you dim the lights, when you've got a flashlight on? You can't even tell the light's there a lot of times. But you dim the lights and remove the light from the room and let the darkness get greater, and suddenly that light starts shining brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And as that's happening in America, as, as people are becoming darker and as more and more things are happening and a darkness is trying to settle on the earth, God has no, absolutely no desire that our lights would extinguish at all. In fact, He plans every bit that we would shine even brighter than we ever have before. Open your Bibles up to Isaiah 60, 60, chapter 60. We'll take up the offering at the end because I want to just roll right into this. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 60. I felt this word like really burning in me. I've preached from this before, but I felt there's something in here that God was showing me that is really for right now. Um, actually, even during worship, was writing down just a few new notes. Isaiah chapter 60. Verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is as alive today as the day that you spoke it through your prophet Isaiah. God, that we don't read this to see who you were. We read this to see who you are and what you desire. And I thank you that you speak to us today from your word. God, Holy Spirit, that every word that comes from my mouth would be straight from you. That it would be from your heart to my lips. That, that, our, that our, our ears are open to hear. Our minds to receive. Our hearts to take in the seed of your word. That we would be good soil. God, that our lives would produce fruit. That a world that is lost, that it right now is lost and desperate for something would taste the fruit of our lives and know that you're good. God, that they would taste peace in a time of unrest. That they would pay, taste joy in a time of chaos and sorrow. That they would taste love in a time of hatred, God, and know that you're good because they've tasted and seen. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So God was speaking to his people through his prophet Isaiah, and this is a, a prophetic word that Isaiah is declaring in chapter 60, and it comes at a time when, when things on earth were getting worse and worse. And the people of God were surrounded by ungodliness. They were surrounded by enemies that had sworn to kill them. They were surrounded by the people, even the, the decent people of the world were being drawn away into things that never before they'd been drawn away into. And Isaiah comes with this word to the people of God. And he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. 
And, and, and um, if you read that in English, it's pretty awesome. If you read it in the original language, it's really amazing because that word arise there means to arise or be lifted up and established. And so he's saying to them, listen to me, I want you to rise, but I don't want you to just arise for a moment. How many people have lived a life where you're just, it's up and down, and you're up one day, you're down the next day, and it's this, this peak to valley, mountaintop to canyon, you know, and, and, and there's no stability in it because we're only doing as good as the current moment or the current thing that's going on. That's why God wants us to be established. This word arise has a, has a, has a note in it that, that means to be established. It's not a temporary thing. You're not going to be a bottle rocket that shoots up hot for a moment, explodes, and then crashes back down to earth. It's this thing of like being risen up to a, to a, to a, uh, to a place and then being established there. It's not up and down. It's not, you, you think about, like, even Elijah, right? Elijah's the, just one of the greatest prophets that's ever lived, and he's talked about all throughout the Bible as this man of faith. But Elijah has these amazing experiences with God, and he has these amazing encounters on a mountaintop, and he goes to the top of a mountain, he prays it doesn't rain, he prays and he declares, he prophesies that it's about to rain, and, and, and it rains, and, and he calls down fire upon a sacrifice that was on an altar that was soaked with water, and he races a chariot back to town and he beats the chariot back to town he's having an amazing day in the lord god is doing these amazing things through him through his hands through his mouth he defeats 400 prophets one man by himself and yet one word comes that says that jezebel has sworn that before the day is over she's going to kill you and he falls apart and runs and hides under a tree and says i'm no better than my father's let me die that's not being established And if we're not careful, we'll seek those mountaintop experiences. And we may even find them, and we may even have them, and there's nothing wrong with having those experiences. But if it doesn't establish something in our hearts, it will only last as long as the experience, and we'll take nothing away from it that can sustain us when the word comes from the enemy that our life is in danger. Established. Not driven about. Not... I'm only doing as good as the news this morning. Not I'm only doing as good as the people around me's ability to love me the way I want to be loved or treat me the way I deserve to be treated. I'm doing so much better than that because there's something in me that is established and He has established me and I believe it no matter what comes. Think about it. Even a word from somebody. That's awesome to receive a word from somebody. But guess what? I, Elijah just had a word given to him. When he said, there's no prophets left, the man said, have you not heard how I took a hundred of the Lord's prophets and I split them up into two caves? 50 in one and 50 in the other, and I've been bringing them bread and water. This man spoke with his mouth and told Elijah the very thing that Elijah would confess was not true. He said, you're not the only one left. There's a hundred. Haven't you heard? I took a hundred of the Lord's prophets and I hid them from the king in caves and I've been giving them food and I've been giving them water. In other words, there's a hundred like you, Elijah. That's one day before this happens. And yet, when he gets one word from the enemy that Jezebel is coming after his life, he forgets everything that was spoken to him and everything that he experienced in God. And all he can do is climb under a tree and say, I'm no better than my father's. Let me die. And God wants to establish a people that without a word from somebody and without seeing all that stuff happen, trust Him that when the threat of the enemy raises its ugly head, we believe what He's spoken over what the enemy's threatening. But we have to be established. 
We have to be established. You guys, it's got to go deeper than just temporal. It's got to go deeper than just what we feel, than just what we see. It's got to be deeper than that. There's got to be a hope inside of us that's greater than what we see and greater than what we feel. It's got to go deeper. It has to be established inside of us. It can't be this thing that I believe when life's going good and I disbelieve and turn my back and say, where's God now when things don't look like they're going good? There has to be this thing in me that's established that says it doesn't matter what I see with my eyes, I'm going to believe what he said over any of that stuff. Because if what he said is true, then anything that would come against it is less than true. And I'm not going to deny that I see that stuff, but I'm going to deny that thing to have more voice in my life than what God has spoken over me. But it has to be established. That's why we have to have this thing personal. It's awesome to come to church. It's awesome to listen to teachings. It's awesome to gather with other people. All those things are amazing. But there's got to be a personal relationship that is, that is me and him alone where I hear him and I, and, I, and I know him and I know that he knows me. And it's something that can't be shaken by people around me because it wasn't given to me by people around me. It didn't come from the world. It didn't come from the experience. It didn't come from any of that stuff. Those things are awesome. People speaking into your life, that's awesome. But if you're only as good as the word that someone spoke into your life, when you forget the word that they spoke, or you forget the thing that they did, what do you have left when the voice of the enemy comes? Because I promise you, a lot of times, right after great victory in our lives, the voice of the enemy comes with threats. So he just does all these amazing things. He gets to the bottom of the hill. He beats a chair. I mean, if any of us did one of those things on a single day, we would have a great month probably. Like 20 days later, we'd be like, dude, I called down fire. And it wasn't like accidental. They wet the wood. And I told them it was going to happen. God is awesome. Like how long would that testimony sustain us? We think it would probably forever, right? Like, like, man, I would never forget that. What could ever be said to me that would shake if I saw God do something like that through me? If we raced and ran and outran a horse-drawn chariot all the way to a town that was far away, we got there first. Like, you might be able to outrun it for like a few feet, but you can't outrun a horse for long, and you certainly can't keep up the pace that a horse can keep. And if we outran a chariot back to a town, it'd be like, do you remember that time when God gave me soup? Like, what can't he do? There is nothing too hard, too great for the Lord. Like, that would so cement that it seems like in us that it wouldn't matter what we faced. We would have that testimony and that remembrance of that time when we outran a horse, when we outran a chariot all the way to a town. And it's like, okay, so yeah, I know what they're saying, but listen, you don't understand. This is what God is capable of and this is what God has done. Any one of those things, I made it rain, literally. I prayed, I put my head down between my legs and I prayed and I declared and something happened and the heavens moved and rain came that hadn't come since I said it wasn't going to rain. Like God did that through me. That would sustain us, we feel like, for so long. And yet he has all those things happen in the same day within a few hours of each other. And the second he hears a word from the enemy, the second he hears a threat, said, Jezebel, because of what you've done to the prophets of Baal, Jezebel has sworn that before the day is over, she will kill you. 
you would think at that moment, the easiest thing, like at the easiest time ever in Elijah's life for him to listen to the threat and say, what can a man do to me when I have that kind of power on my side? I would have probably been like, I'll call down a fire on her. The disciples wanted to do it. Don't act like you're above it. They reject Jesus. The disciples were like, should we call down fire? They, they, they literally were like going to do it. They were going to call down fire, destroy a town. Jesus says, you don't know the spirit that you're of. Uh, if I, I want to believe that in that moment, after seeing God do all that stuff through my life, it wouldn't take a, a, a threat from the enemy to make me forget everything that had just happened. But if we're not established, if we don't allow what God does through us and around us and speaks to us to actually establish something in us, we're only going to be as good as what's happening in the immediate moment. And that was the problem with Elijah. In the immediate moment, he felt like he could do anything because of what God was doing through his life. But the second a threat came and there wasn't something going on that he could point to, it had more voice into his life than the voice of the Lord that said that he would keep him and sustain him. And he lays under a tree and literally says, let me die. She doesn't even need to kill him. He's laying under a tree saying, let me die. Just the threat does what she was threatening to do. And so God says to his people, arise, rise above and be established Stay there. No more high to low, mountain to valley kind of stuff. We serve the most steadfast, unchanging God, and we have the most steadfast, unchanging spirit within us. Why would we not be the most steadfast and unchanging people? Because it said of, of it says that. We have confidence before the Lord because we know that this, in the day of judgment, that as He is, so are we also in this world. That all these verses are in your Bible. Because that would sound blasphemous if it wasn't in the Word. To say that we can have confidence before Him because we know this, that as He is, not as He was, that would be awesome. I, I, I would take as He was on this earth, so are we. Right? Like as he was. Like he, his life on this earth was pretty amazing. Everywhere he went, the kingdom of heaven came. Everywhere he went, people's lives were changed. Everywhere he went, he defeated the enemy. At every turn, he lived a sinless life. Lived a perfect life, laying it down for other people constantly. Loved people unconditionally, but never let people stay where they were. Always challenged people into all that God had for them. I'd settle for that. I'd be okay if it said, as he was, so are we also in this world. But it doesn't. It says, knowing this... As He is, so also are we. Not when we die. Not so will we be one day. Be really careful about a theology that tells you that everything amazing in the Bible is for a time that was or a time that is to come. And that the best you can do now is read stories to encourage yourself of how God used to be or read stories to encourage yourself of how God will be. But nothing is for today. Why? Because that's, that, that's a theology that tries to explain a lack of power in people's lives and it lets us settle for something that Jesus never preached. It's just the truth. 
If I don't see something happening in my life, my answer is not to discredit it and say, I guess it's not for today. It's to go after him, just like the disciples did, and said, Lord, why couldn't we? And then just have the humility to believe that there is a chance that he might give us the same answer he gave the disciples. That there's a chance. That I know we know way more than they did. I know that, you know, we've arrived at this level that they've never arrived at. But I'm just saying, like, maybe there's a chance that he would answer our question the same way he answered their question and would say, because of, and put the, the responsibility back on us. He said, because of your unbelief. And I tell you, this kind only comes out by praying and fasting. I'm not saying that's the answer every single time. I'm saying that's the only answer Jesus ever gave, so we should at least consider it. At least consider it. So as He is, so also are we in this world. How many of you think that Jesus is in heaven absolutely a wreck and depressed one day and then just joyful and on top of the world the next? Seriously. We laugh. As He is, so also are we in this world. He's faithful. He's true. He's steadfast. He's unchanging. He is a fixed position of love. He's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. That's why it says we are not aware of the en- unaware of the enemy's schemes. It doesn't say don't be unaware. It says we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. Why? Because the Spirit of the living God is inside of us and He knows everything that is, that was, and that is to come as well. So if we're following after Him and listening to His voice, we're not unaware either because the Spirit of God that's in us is not unaware. It doesn't say don't be unaware. It says that you're not unaware. Sometimes we're unaware because we're not listening, but our spirit is not unaware because it's the spirit of God inside of us, and he's not one step behind the enemy declaring what the enemy has done. He's one step ahead of the enemy warning us of what the enemy's going to try to do. I promise you. It's not that he's not speaking when things catch us by surprise. A lot of times it's because we weren't listening. Or we listened, but we didn't act. How many times we look back and say, I knew it. Think about it. Like we write that off as just, oh, I had, a, I had a hunch. What if it was more than a hunch? You know, I, 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 I had a suspicion. What if it was more than suspicion? Seriously, think about all the times in life that something's happened and you said, I knew it. Well, you didn't know it so that one day you could say, I knew it. You knew it so that you could actually do something so that the day came that you never had to say, I knew it because you stepped in and intervened. Jesus doesn't come up to the lady who's about to get stoned, watch her get stoned, and then say, I knew they were going to do that. Why did He know that she was going to be there? Why did they bring her to her feet? Why did He have the perfect answer? Because He was prepared. He wasn't unaware of the scheme of the enemy to kill this lady in front of Him and Him say it was okay or for Him to blaspheme and ignore the Bible so what, or the Word of God. So what is, what is He saying? He's not saying like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. I knew they were going to stone her and, and try to t- catch me in a lie. No. He's prepared, so in that moment, he steps in and he places himself between the woman and her accusers. He kneels down. I guarantee you he got in between the two of them and knelt down. Why? It says they threw her at his feet. So they throw her at his feet. They're going to stone her. It says he knelt down. I guarantee you he gets between there saying what? If you're going to stone her, you're going to have to stone me first. And places himself once again between judgment and the judged. The way he would the rest of his life and the way he would with his death on the cross. 
placing himself between judgment and the judged and saying, if you want to judge her, you have to judge me. And he gets on his knees before his bride and says, if you want to judge her, Father, judge me. Think about it. He did that. He didn't later talk to the disciples when they said, did you hear that lady got stoned in the center of the town square? Say, oh, I knew I was supposed to go there. I knew that. He knew for a reason. He was always where he needed to be because he was led and guided by the Spirit of God. Always. Just coincidentally, he ends up in these places. And I don't think that God like downloaded this plan to him at the beginning of, you know, once he became 12. I don't think God like snuck into his room and said, okay, son, here's your life. Just every day before you go out, read what you're going to do that day so that you do everything that I want you to do. I think he got up in the morning just like we did and said, God, I feel you're about to move. Father, I feel you're about to move. I feel you're about to ride in on the wind. What are we going to do today, God? My eyes are fixed on you. Where are we going to go? And not that he wandered around aimlessly, right? He said to the disciples, like, let's go here and do this. Let's go there and do that. He, it's not like, you know, don't, don't, don't fall for that. Like, being led by the Spirit means that you have no plan or you have... Come on, God is just as capable of being part of your plan as He is being part of your day when you live out that plan. It just meant that He wasn't so stuck to what He had decided they were going to do that He wouldn't do, do anything else that came upon them. He said to the disciples one time, said they were hungry, remember? said the disciples were hungry. They've been ministering many days and they have been without food. So he said to them, let's go away to a secluded place so you can rest and eat. And so they get ready to go to a secluded place to rest and eat, but then Jesus sees a crowd of people and having compassion upon them. Right? So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, I know this is what we planned and we're going to go and do that, but along the way something has come up and it needs my attention because these people are like sheep without a shepherd and I have compassion on them. So I'm not going to be so stuck to my plan that I ignore people, but I promise you when we get done with those people, we're going to get away for a little while. They're not the interruption of my life, they're the reason for my life. I don't even know where I am right now. (laughs) Oh, I think I'm still unestablished. (laughs) It's why the Father speaks over him before he enters into the world to begin his ministry. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why? He's establishing something in him that will sustain him for the rest of his ministry. See, if Jesus is trying to earn his Father's pleasure, if Jesus is trying to earn his way into being called a son, it's the prodigal son. It's why that story contains the line where the prodigal son says... I am no longer worthy. To, I will go to my father and I will say to him, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Why? Because the so- prodigal son thought I have to work my way into a position that was once freely given to me and I'm not worthy of it anymore. So I won't even expect my father will put, take me back as a son. I'll go to him as one of his hired servants and I'll work my way back into what I used to receive for free. And if Jesus starts his life trying to work his way into something, it never would have happened but he starts his life understanding who he is and he works from that place, knowing that he's a son and that God is pleased with him and that he's accepted. He hasn't spent... See, that, that's legalism, right? Legalism starts knowing the result and then tries to work its way to it. Liberalism starts knowing the result and thinks it doesn't matter because he's already spoken. They're both wrong. Legalism is wrong. You're not saying, okay, so you've called me a son. I better go earn it. And liberalism says, you've called me a son. There's nothing I can do that's going to change that, so I'll just do whatever I want. They both don't have an understanding of what it is to be a son of God. 
To be a son of God says, God, this is what you've called me, so this is how I'm going to live because it's who I am. Not I'm going to live this way so that I can become what you've promised I might. And not I'm going to live opposite so that I can test whether or not there's enough limit to your patience. Why would you want to live like that? Like if you really understand the love that God has for you, who he is, who he's called you to be, what it cost him to put Jesus on the cross in our place, why would you ever want to go and live a life so contrary to the word of God, even if you could and still go to heaven? That's never been the point. The point of the Christian life has never been see how close I can walk to the line of hell without actually falling in. It's always been, let me see how close to your heart I can walk to God so that I become everything that you purposed in your heart when you spoke me into existence. I want to fully express what you've placed inside of me to the world because there's a world out there that does not know who you are and you've put yourself inside of me to show them what you're like and who you are. That's in the Word. Because it wasn't just Jesus that said, follow me. A man named Paul once said, follow me as I follow Christ. What was he saying? I'm walking in line with the Spirit of God. If you follow me, you'll end up in the same place that I'm going and you'll look like him because you're following someone who's after him. And listen, he didn't call himself St. Paul. We did. He didn't say build stained glass windows and put me in them. We did. He didn't say name churches after me. We did. What did he say? Follow me as I follow Christ. There's nothing wrong with naming the church after Paul or putting him in a stained glass window. I think some of those things are beautiful, but we should probably be careful that we don't get so busy doing things he didn't say that we miss the thing he did say, which was follow him as he followed Christ. Same with Jesus. Jesus never said, sing 5,000 worship songs to me. He said, follow me. I love worship songs, and I hope we sing more than 5,000. We're going to sing them for eternity, but let's not get so caught up on things he never said that we miss out on the one thing that he did, which is follow me. Any worship leaders in the room, don't be offended. I love you, and I think worship is awesome. My wife helps lead worship. I've led worship before. It's awesome. I'm just saying if we're not careful, sometimes we can get so hung up on things that he never demanded from us and required from us that we miss the one thing that he genuinely did, and that was follow me. If we're following him, we're going to sing to him. We're going to love him. We're going to worship him. We're going to evangelize. We're going to tell people about him. We're going to do all those things. We're going to preach the gospel. We'll end up doing all the things that he said and some things that he didn't that I know please him. I promise he looks down from heaven and he sees our worship and it pleases him because it comes from a pure place of adoration of him. That's awesome. But if that is trying to compensate for the fact that we're not doing the thing he actually called us for, there's not enough songs that we can sing in enough lifetimes to make up for the one thing he did call us to. There's not enough religious activity that will take the place of relationship. You cannot earn your way into something. You can't. You can't work your way into it. He's still unestablished. Then he says shine. That word shine there means to be luminous, full of glorious light, set on fire. So what's he saying? He's saying, I'm calling you up to a place. Rising is always to come above. No one ever says the submarine rose when it's sinking. Right? No one says the airplane rose when it's coming down. Rising means above set up so he says arise come up here why because you're seated in heavenly places with christ so what is he saying come up here and be established 
What is he wanting to establish? He's wanting to establish our position in Christ, who we are in Christ, and that we think with a mindset that actually is heavenly, not earthly. James talks about that. He says there's wisdom that is of this earth. It's secular, sensual, and in the end, it's demonic. There's pure wisdom that comes from God, right? There's pure wisdom that comes from above. But there's also earthly wisdom, which is sensual. It means it's driven by your senses. Sensual doesn't mean sexual. It means sensual, sensory, driven by the senses. What I see, what I hear, what I smell, what I taste, what I touch, what people say, what the news says, what forecasters say. That's sensually driven. That's being driven by our senses. And James put sensual wisdom in the same sentence as demonic. Why? Because the things of this earth are always going to at some point oppose the things of heaven. Always. And at that point, when two kingdoms collide, we have to choose which one we're going to serve. That's why uh, God's desire for His people always was, choose this day whom you will serve. Why? Because your choice and your decision will carry you when things start to change around you. When I'm out here in the desert with you and there's no enemy around you and I'm providing you with food every single day and Moses is striking rocks and water's coming out and everything and, you're, and I'm with you and you can see me physically in the pillar and in, in the cloud, I, I want you to choose me today. Because there's a time coming when you're going to actually face an enemy. There's a time coming where you may not see my physical presence. There's a time coming where what you see around you may cause you to think other things. Where I'm not going to be sending manna every single day and it's going to be up to you to go in and take the land which I've prepared for you. And I want you to choose this day whom you're going to serve so that that decision will carry you when all the things that you have right now seem to be gone and there's an enemy in front of you shouting a threat. That, you realize that it's always it, the choice always comes when it's when when it's when it's all that we have, right? So choose this day whom you're going to serve. Why? Because there's a day coming that choice is going to have to carry you. There's a day coming where the choices that we've made are going to carry us, you guys. Where where the things that come easily to our lips right now may face a challenge, where there may actually be an enemy speaking a threat. See, Elijah was awesome when God was doing everything around him and when all this stuff was coming, but the second he faces a threat, and Elijah was a mighty man of God, an anointed prophet. I promise you if it happened to him, it could happen to you and me. I promise. That's why it's choose this day. Be established. Let it, I, that word keeps coming back to me. It's just... Let this be established in you. Come up where I'm calling you to and then be established there. Not come up for a vacation. Not come up temporarily. But be established in your thinking. Be established in who you are. Be established in your identity. Understand that you have been called. Behold what love the Father has lavished upon us that he, we would be called sons of God. And such we are. There's things like that all over in the Word. Jesus, I no longer call you slaves, but friends and brothers. I'm not ashamed to call you my brothers. Why is he saying? Because he wants that to be established in our hearts who we are. So that when things are going on around us, rather than trying to figure out who we are in the moment, we actually respond from who we already believe that we are before the things that went on around us. That's being established. Trying to find it in the moment is better than not trying to find it at all. But having it before the moment arrives is even better. You, you can learn, I guess, 
how to sail while you're bailing out a ship and while everyone around you is freaking out and when it's dark and the moon and the stars and everything else is covered up by clouds. But it's a whole lot easier to learn to sail in the cove during the day when the waters are calm. And then what's established in the cove is proven on the sea. I mean, if you're in a storm and it's not established, learn to sail. By all means, bail water, ask for help, watch YouTube videos, do whatever you have to do to figure out how to sail. But what I'm saying is I think God's desire would be not that we're trying to figure it out while we're in the middle of the storm, but that we would already have something established in us so that when we're in the middle of the storm, we carry a peace that we can release into the storm. Jesus didn't go, oh my gosh, Father, I need peace. What did He do? He stood up when they woke Him up and He said, peace, be still. And they said, What manner of man is this that even the waves obey him? Why? Because he already had it established in him. He already carried what was necessary. He wasn't asking God to give him the peace that he needed in that moment. He understood that God had already given him the peace. And so when he looked out and saw chaos, all he did was open his mouth and release what was missing from the situation. Believing that you really do have all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, the way First Peter tells us that you do. Believing that will actually make you believe that when you face a situation, you actually have what's necessary because of who the Spirit of God is inside of you. And you won't be running around. Jesus said, this kind only comes out by praying and fasting. And we think that what they're saying there, a lot of times people have taken that to mean when you get a bad medical report, it's the time to pray and fast. But you notice that Jesus didn't pray and fast? Why? Because he lived a lifestyle of praying and fasting and he carried what the child needed in that moment because he was always prepared to confront the enemy because of the way he lived. He wasn't trying to find it in the moment. Thanks, man. Is everybody awake? <laughs> you guys alive today? Yeah? Okay. Am I intense? Is that what it is? A little? I'll try to bring it down a little bit on the intensity level, okay? I promise I'm like, I'm happy. I am the happiest person in here right now. Except maybe one other guy, because I just keep looking at him and he keeps smiling. He's in the middle of a long fast right now, so he may be even happier than I am because he's experiencing joy like that. But I promise you, like, this stuff is, is, is always, like, it could feel heavy if you're going, oh my gosh, I, I, I just freaked out the other day when I found myself in a situation. That's okay. Don't condemn yourself for where you were in that moment. Thank, thank God for where you will be the next time you have one. See, this life is not, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So what I'm saying isn't supposed to be condemning. It should be challenging and and convicting and encouraging to say this. If I did miss it in the last time, if I found myself completely unprepared, if I responded with hate, see, this is what arising and shining looks like. It's that we're established in something and the way that we shine is by letting what's in us come out of us in that moment. So a kind word turns away wrath. What does it look like to shine when there's wrath and anger being spoken? It's to give a kind word. Love your enemies. What does it look like to shine when people make themselves an enemy of yours? It's to love them. Be wise stewards. What does it look like in a world that is completely irresponsible in so many ways with everything they've been called to steward? Being a wise steward and being responsible. That's what shining looks like in that. 
And what is God saying in this? He's saying, I want you to be established and I want you to shine. It says, for your light has come. And that word light there means illumination in every sense, including happiness, brightness, and clarity. That means everything you need to shine. Your joy, your brightness, clarity. Every single definition of light is contained within that word. When you look at the root word that he uses there, because he uses a different word there than he did earlier. So God says, rise and shine because the light that they needed to shine has come. Oh, we're going to have to continue this next week. So this is classic God. Is I've already done the thing that you couldn't do. Think about Genesis. It says he creates Adam and Eve, he places them in the garden, and then he says, subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Why? Because he actually wanted man to do something that he wanted to partner with him. God creates the earth. Man couldn't create the earth. God creates man. Man couldn't create himself. God places man in the garden. God, man couldn't place himself in the garden. God does all the things that man couldn't do and then calls man to partner with him to do the thing that he wants man to do. So here he's saying, arise and shine. Be established and let that come out of you for your light has come. What's he saying? I've already taken care of the part that you can't. What I need for you to do is actually to arise and be established. How do we arise? Anybody want to take a guess? It's by what we believe. See, if I actually believe that what his word says about me is true, then it'll start to establish itself in my mind. So if I believe that I was bought with a high price and my life is no longer my own, then I don't make decisions anymore based on just what I want because my life doesn't belong to me. I was bought with a price. Who bought my life? He did. That means he has a say in everything in my life because it no longer belongs to me. What if I actually believed that and lived that way? What if I actually believed that my life did not belong to me, that I was bought with a price and the life that I live is no longer mine but Christ in me? What if I really believed that Christ had a say in everything that I did, in every response that I gave, in everywhere that I went, in everything that I did? What if I actually believed that and that was established in my mind? What if I believed that I was a son or a daughter of God? What if I believed that he loved me and he liked me and that he didn't send his son so that he could love me, he sent his son because he did love me? For God so loved the world... That word, world there is terra, and it means the earth and the entire surface of the earth and the inhabitants thereof. So that's everyone. It doesn't exclude anyone. It's an all-inclusive gospel that includes every single person. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. Why? Because He already loved me. Not because He wanted to send His Son so that He could. It says, for you were formerly alienated and enemies in your mind. Who we were alienated from him because in our minds we were enemies of God. But he sent his son because I wasn't his enemy. He sent his son because he loved me. And even if I was an enemy in my mind, Jesus said, love your enemies. I wonder where Jesus got that from. I know where. He said, the words that I speak are not my own. I only speak what I hear the Father say. These words I speak are not my own. They come from the Father. The Father is greater than I. That's Jesus. This is all in there. So what if that's established? 
What if I actually believe that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world? What if I really believe that anytime I confront darkness, there's a light inside of me that's greater than the darkness? Like, really believe that. What if that was established? Not like, well, when I see something, then I believe it, and I, and I, I take a, you know, we take these like holy vacations, where it's like when things are going really good or when I pray and I see something happen, you know, or I'm doing really good and I'm, I'm doing all the things that I know that I should do and I'm doing all that stuff. Like we, then we allow ourselves to live in this place of like, wow, I'm just, I'm a son and you love me and this is awesome. But it's just a vacation. It's not where we live. It's not something that's established and it's only as good as the circumstances and surroundings around us. What if we got to a place where we said, you know what, it doesn't matter what I see in circumstances. None of that matters because your word is established, God, that you exalt your word even above your very name. So if you exalt your word that highly, maybe I should. And if you call me a son, then maybe I should believe it. If you say that I'm more than a conqueror, maybe I should believe it, even when what I see doesn't line up with what you say. Because in that moment, I have to take a choice. What do I believe? Do I believe what he spoke or do I believe what I've seen? If he says I'm more than a conqueror and I'm not conquering something in the moment, do I label myself by my failure or do I label myself by what he's spoken and understand that the battle hasn't ended if I'm not conquering? And just be established there. Be established with the fact that I have the mind of Christ. For who can understand the things of God, but we have the mind of Christ. Never sell yourself short and say you can't understand God because you have the mind of Christ. Jesus said, and the Holy Spirit when He comes, He will take everything the Father has, He's made known unto me. And the Holy Spirit when He comes, He will take what is mine and make it known unto you. There's no exclusion there. He told us the one thing that we can never know. There's only one thing. One. The day that He's coming. Because He said not even the Son knows this. So the Holy Spirit can't take that from Jesus and make it known to us. Everything else, He said everything the Father has, He's made known to me. And the Holy Spirit will take these things and make them known to you. There's a promise there that if you want to, you can have an understanding on any situation that you face. There's no exclusions. But who can understand the things of God? But we have the mind of Christ. Knock, seek, ask. There's a promise. If you knock, it will be opened. If you seek, you will find. If you ask, it will be given to you. It doesn't say except for this and except for that and except for that. There's no exclusions made. The only exclusion there is are you asking, are you seeking, are you knocking? And not just casually. That's why we have that story of the woman who wouldn't go away after the first time and after the second time. What's he saying? We don't just go to God one time and just be like, God, I want to know this. And then say, well, he didn't answer in the moment. I must not be able to understand that. He must not want to tell me. It's no, we go to him and we persistently seek him. God, this thing is just, I I can't be okay until I understand this. God, I cannot rest until I understand this. God, I won't just settle. I won't just accept what I've been told unless I hear it from you. I can't find this in the word, God, so I can't believe this. But I need you to speak. I need clarity for your light brightness, happiness, and clarity has come. Be established. Have a clear mind. Let things be simple. Be okay with the fact that things are a lot simpler than we've made them. I'm just going to close up with that. Like, if it's so complicated that you can't explain it to a child, it's probably not the Gospel. We do so much 
scriptural gymnastics to try to make our, the scripture line up with what we've experienced in life and we do so at the detriment of the purity of the gospel. Well, I know God said that, but you don't understand. He didn't mean, really? Well, then why did he say it? Because he said, unless you have faith like a child. A child takes things at face value. If Jesus really did say that I came that you would have life and life abundantly, a child hears that verse and says, Jesus came to give me abundant life. And it's not for one day when I die only because so many of the things that He promised have no bearing on us in heaven. Being free from from torment, uh, demonic torment. There, there's no like demons in heaven for you to set people free from. When he said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do these things, and then he said as the Father sends me, and he gave the, the people that were following him, first the, the 12, then the 72, and then he told them, go and teach everyone the things that I've taught you. What did that mean? It meant that every single person that followed Jesus was supposed to be told the same things that Jesus told them. Go into all the nations, baptizing and making, making disciples, teaching them to observe and obey all the things that I've commanded you. What was one of the things that Jesus commanded them? To heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. That was a command of Jesus on their lives. And then he said to them, go and teach people all the things that I taught you. All the things. Well, you know, he didn't really mean... What, what, how do you know that? Where does the Bible say that? Why would we complicate it? If I read it to my, to my 13, 14-year-old daughter, 14, 14-year-old daughter, I can't believe that, y'all. She's going to high school next year. <sighs> but I'm established, so I'm not going to be shaken by the boys that start calling. And I know that she is too, and I believe that God is able to keep her, and He desires for her to walk in a level of purity and a level of goodness that's even greater than the level that I would desire for her, and that He's way more committed to her than I am, so I trust Him, even if I don't trust everything around her. Yeah. All right, well, we'll get to the second verse next week. We will, I promise. So far, we're being established to shine. Next week, we're going to talk about the darkness that, that is coming over the earth and what the response of the biblical response of the believer of God should be when the darkness comes and tries to fill the earth. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, that, that you're alive, that you're in us, and that you are true and that you're faithful. God, I thank you for people who are established in knowing you, God, and knowing who you've made us to be. God, that we believe what you say over our lives, even if we don't see it in the moment, we will trust you and exalt your word above even our very names because you do that as well. I thank you, God, that when we wake up in the morning, we can say, oh, I feel it, you're about to move. I feel it in the wind, God. You're about to move. You're about to do something. Somebody is about to encounter the most amazing love ever because you've placed that inside of me. Somebody's about to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Somebody is about to encounter light when they're surrounded by darkness because I'm walking into that room, because I'm walking into that meeting, because I'm going to that school, I'm going to that job. The kingdom of heaven is coming for everybody there. I thank you that you just placed that expectation inside of us. And that that would be established in us in Jesus' name. Amen.